a two-part program today and dealing with two very different subjects, but both of them eminently American. In the first hour, we talk about a great American political figure, not as well known by now as he should be, and reintroduced to the country by Harlow Giles Unger, who is the author of the new book, Henry Clay, America's Greatest Statesman. In the second hour, we talk about baseball, not about uh, current baseball, but rather about the shame of Chicago in the history of American baseball, the Black Sox scandal of 1919. But with me on the phone right now is uh, our guest of the first hour, Harlow Unger. And I see that this is about the 10th or 12th book that you've done about early American significant political figures. But you're moving forward. Most of the others were of the revolutionary period. And now we're into the middle uh, years of the 19th century. Yes, indeed. Uh, Henry Clay uh, continued the tradition of the founding fathers, the the, uh, the the nation had been founded and built on compromise. The Declaration of Independence was a compromise. Half the people who signed it wanted autonomy, not independence. The Constitution was a compromise between slave states and free states, big states and little states, rural interests and urban interests. And once the national government assumed power, its survival over the next 60 years hinged on five major compromises worked out by one man, Henry Clay. The and man he's, I, he's known in history to many as the Great Compromiser. Yes, indeed. They called him the Great Compromiser in his day and because his compromises saved our nation from disintegration during the decades that led up to civil war. Who was, and, who was Henry Foote? of Mississippi. I know he was a senator, but of what period? I'm sorry? Henry Foote, senator from Mississippi, but when did he serve in the Senate? Do you know? No. Because I've got a quotation. Uh, he's obviously post-Civil War, and Senator Henry Foote of Mississippi says, had there been one such man in the Congress um, of the United States as Henry Clay in 1860-61, there would, I feel sure, have been no civil war. Absolutely. He died, Clay died in, 18, in 1852, and uh, all of his compromises were undone uh, by a group of uh, ornery uh, uh, senators and congressmen akin to the group uh, we have now trying to undo uh, the way we do business uh, in the American government, uh, the, uh, uh, the uh, so-called Freedom Caucus or, or, or Shutdown Caucus. They simply... Uh, are uh, re-fighting uh, uh, the, the battles of the Civil War for state sovereignty. They uh, don't believe in compromise, and uh, are, they're, they're like a group of, of, of Nazis or communists trying to undo the work of the majority and uh, taking over uh, control of, of the House uh, and, and some in the Senate as well. Speaking uh, Henry of that, Clay faced face the same type of people, yeah. and 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 uh, uh, absolutely uh, bullied them into submission. Uh, either you 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 come you you work the American way of compromise, or uh, or get out. Uh, he has. There are many quotations attributed to Henry Clay. The one that I find most interesting, considering uh, some important aspects of his career, is when he says, "I'd rather be right." than be president. But in fact, 
He ran for the presidency on four separate occasions, did he not? Yes, indeed. Only because he wanted to uh, implement, uh, further implement, uh, the American system that he had created, uh, perhaps the most ambitious and farthest reaching uh, economic social scheme in the history of, of, of this country, possibly the world, uh, at the time of these compromises, especially at the beginning of the, comp- the, the at the beginning of his compromises in 1820, uh, few people care were, were were cared whether the South pulled out or not. Uh, if they had seceded, few people in the North would have gone to fight uh, for a bunch of slaves. Uh, there was as much most of the state, states in the North had slavery, uh, just as the Southern states. So they weren't going to fight to preserve the Union. Henry Clay had this dream of a, of a prosperous, a wealthy, prosperous, uh, a powerful nation stretching uh, from coast to coast, uh, from sea to shining sea, as we uh, sing in the song today. Uh, he only could realize this dream by linking all of the states in a, uh, uh, with a transportation network that would require the states and federal government to, to uh, cooperate in building uh, roads, uh, canals, and, and later railways uh, that would link all of the states and allow free uh, uh, transport, free passage across state lines of tens of thousands, eventually millions of Americans, uh, so that they spread from state to state and lost their allegiance to their uh, original states and be, suddenly became Americans. Farmers who moved into different states had sources of supply in other states and, and customers in other states. So did merchants, so did banks. And uh, and they had relatives that they wanted to visit. And there were social exchanges between these states. So, so the linkage between the 20 states of what uh, stayed the Union in the Civil War uh, was uh, to, to, to break that up was unthinkable. It would have been a disaster economically, socially, and every other way. Actually, he has a good deal to do with, uh, for, with developing a nation that goes from coast to coast, from east to west, it, in that he had a considerable role, did he not, in getting California established as a state? Well, that was uh, the last compromise he engineered in, in 1850, uh, which, uh, in which California was admitted as a free state, and Texas was admitted as a slave state. Uh, but uh, the linkage of California uh, to uh, the union, the union of uh, these northern and north central and midwestern states uh, added, added uh, brought the, the number of states in the, in the union, firmly in the union, economically and socially, to 20, with some 20 yeah. million people compared to only five and a half million people in these uh, rambunctious uh, uh, southern states who believed in state sovereignty. Of course, with regard to the question of slavery, earlier on he was the basic um, designer of the so-called Missouri Compromise, uh, and that already undertakes to balance the admission of new states uh, into the Union by admitting a slave state and a free state at the same time. Absolutely. Uh, the, there those, states, had been, those states are Missouri and Maine, as I remember it. Exactly. There had been a balance in the in the House of Representatives and the Senate, uh, to, which prevented 
the Southerners from gaining a majority and impose, making slavery the law of the land for the entire Union. It also kept the Northerners from gaining control and emancipating slaves across the Union. If Missouri had been admitted, uh, it had applied for statehood as a slave state, it would have thrown uh, the Congress out of balance. Uh, the North threatened to uh, walk out if they came in. Uh, a Northerner proposed a rider that would have admitted Missouri as a free state by emancipating all the slaves uh, under 25, at the age of 25, in Missouri and preventing any more slaves from coming in. The South threatened to, to pull out. Yeah. Uh, uh, Clay engineered a compromise. He knew that Maine uh, wanted to separate from Massachusetts, and uh, he linked the admission of Maine, a free soil state, with that of Missouri, with no restrictions on either one. They could come in as as, as they were, and that retained the balance of power in Congress and allowed the South and North to live together, albeit uneasily, in uh, the federal government. Uh, for uh, another few years. He is, of course, a tremendous figure in the history of this country and is viewed by many as one of the four or five giant figures in the history of the American Senate. He served in the Senate. He served in the House. He served as Secretary of State. And he aspired, as we've said, to the presidency many times. Um, but uh, I would bet that most Americans would be surprised to know that uh, uh, he was neither a Democrat nor a Republican. He was rather the founder of another very important party for a while, the Whigs, W-H-I-G. It sounds like something from England, but in fact, there was a major Whig party in the United States for a number of decades as well. Yes, they were the, the, the moderates, and uh, uh, you mentioned how important a figure he was. John F. Kennedy uh, ranked him as the most courageous senator in the history uh, of the Senate uh, because of That would his... be in his book, Profiles in Courage. Uh, Kennedy, uh, that is, yes. Right. Uh, and uh, he he was indeed, his his aspirations for, to the, for the presidency was not per, based on personal ambition. It was to further uh, implement his American system. Uh, he he saw that the president, after, after Monroe and Quincy Adams uh, left office, uh, the, we had a new breed of presidents, beginning with uh, Andrew Jackson, who really didn't care much about, uh, about linking, linking the Union uh, as strongly as Clay saw it. He, so he sought the presidency so that he could uh, really impose this uh, from the executive mansion, impose the American system uh, that uh, Congress had been supporting, and many of, many of the states were supporting, but it was causing conflict over state and uh, federal. Well, that leads us to a number of different questions. The first, and it needs definition right now, I would say, is what did he mean, what was meant in those days by, quote, the American system? The American system was this linkage of all of the states uh, with a transportation network that would allow uh, people and goods to travel uh, freely uh, without any uh, uh, problems across state lines and across the nation. Uh, until 1820, the only way to cross state lines was on horseback. Uh, you had very few roads, uh, no railroads, of course, at that time, and very few canals. But what did it mean economically, with particularly with regard to tariff uh, rates and tariff levels? 
Well, it, it, it had uh, little to do with tariffs because the tariffs are across uh, international lines, uh, international borders at, 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 at port cities. Uh, what it had to do was the free exchange of goods, services, and people uh, from state to state. Uh, the, each state had its own uh, internal economy. But I thought he rather favored restrictive tariffs with regard to imported goods. Well, he did because he wanted the American yeah. uh, farms and manufacturers uh, to thrive without unfair competition from abroad. And part of that unfair competition was in the area of textiles, where uh, Britain was buying cheap cotton from our southern states, grown and 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 uh, baled by slave labor. Uh, it was the cheapest cotton you could get in the world, and uh, they, in turn, were using it to produce tech, cheap textiles that they were dumping into uh, the northern American states in New England, where a budding textile industry was was growing based on labor paid by the peace. Of course. And they couldn't compete. Again, it was Henry Clay who uh, came up with a compromise that prevented this from producing a split between North and South. In this context, it should be instantly noted, as we haven't yet, that he was basically a Southerner, or one might say a border state Southerner, born in Virginia, but um, for most of his adult life, all of his adult life, uh, his uh, base was Kentucky, and indeed he was this representative from and then senator from Kentucky in the American Congress for much of his career. Um, but let me turn back to the other fascinating uh, personal item, or at least uh, um, interesting item in his personal but political career, namely his um, interest in getting uh, into the office of the president. Uh, four runs, all unsuccessful. Is that a record, or are, can we find others who ran as many times as that for the presidency? Well, I know we have, uh, I think Harold Stassen has the record. I was wondering about Stassen. Yeah. Uh, I think, uh, I think William he Jennings ran five or six times. William Jennings, but the, but the, the last few of the Stassen candidacies were taken as rather a joke uh, by most uh, political observers. Um, uh, uh, William Jennings Bryan ran twice, at least, um, and probably more than that. I'm not sure, but certainly this fellow had a strong presidential aspiration. Was it much of a disappointment to him that he never made it? Yes and no. As I say, his his aspirations were not based on a personal ambition well, or, it's or, or seizing power. His 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 main his his as he in his words he says, if anyone desires to know the leading and paramount object of my public life, the preservation of the union will furnish him the key. Well, pardon and, the moment. As he said when he lost, I'd rather be right, be right than, than president. president. And uh, he wanted to hold the union together. Uh, he felt that these other candidates were uh, dividing the union. He wanted to hold the union together and make sure the implementation of the American system, the linkage of all Americans yeah. with a vast transportation system, was completed. And he felt that the presidents uh, from the executive office uh, could oversee the completion of the American system. And that, that was the basis uh, for his running for the presidency. Well, I was, ab I was about to say, uh, but I didn't get it in, but I'll do it right now. Um, but you're dealing with a somewhat cynical interviewer who uh, thinks of politicians that whatever high causes uh, they advocate in, whatever high purposes they pursue, there is also always an element of strong personal ambition. I can't believe that 
he didn't have a personal interest in attaining, if only temporarily, uh, the highest power. Well, if you believe that uh, men like uh, George, Wa- leaders like George Washington, John oh. Adams, uh, Dwight Eisenhower, if you believe they were driven by personal ambition, well, then maybe Clay was. But uh, I-, I believe, and having written biographies of the first two, yes, I know uh, you have. Uh, they uh, uh, they were driven by love of country and patriotism. And uh, you said Clay was a Southerner, uh, and indeed he was born in Virginia and uh, spent. Uh, his uh, uh, working life, part of his working life in Kentucky, his home was in Kentucky. He spent much time uh, in Washington. Uh, he was a diplomat overseas, helped resolve the uh, War of 1812 uh, uh, and, and, and work out the treaty with Britain and, and then subsequently a trade treaty with Britain. Above all, he called himself an American. He yeah. never called himself a Virginian or a Kentuckian. And he believed in... Uh, uh, the the preservation of the Union, and indeed influenced uh, Abraham Lincoln, uh, mentored him, taught him. Uh, uh, Lincoln ca- called him uh, uh, my teacher. Uh, he said, I worshipped uh, Lincoln, and, and said, I can express all my views by quoting Henry Clay. And uh, uh, he did so in uh, explaining why he went to war. Uh, he, he said, my paramount object in this struggle is to save the Union. That was uh, uh, Abraham Lincoln explaining yeah. why he, he you've went just, to war. You've just made a re- reference to an earlier war which he helped to resolve, namely the War of 1812. Of equal interest is that he was one of the fomenters of the War of 1812. We need to get into his uh, political active career uh, perhaps by looking at his involvement in the War of 1812 and also looking at the a rather astonishing fact, I never knew it before, that he was made Speaker of the House, uh, an office that we are speculating about these very days because of some difficulties uh, in Washington at the moment. He was made Speaker of the House uh, on his first day as a member of the House of Representatives. Uh, We'll get on to that and related matters in this fascinating story as we continue our conversation with Harlow Giles Unger, who is the author of the new book, Henry Clay, America's Greatest Statesman, right after we pause for this. And directly back to Harlow Giles Unger, as we draw from uh, this fine, might, one might almost say magisterial biography of Henry Clay, titled, quite directly, Henry Clay, America's Greatest Statesman. That is, by the way, uh, just published by Da Capo Press. Um, so, let's come to the War of 1812. Uh, am I right to describe him as one of the fomenters, or at least as one of the advocates of going to war with with Britain at that time. Yes, indeed, he was the leading uh, advocate at the time. Britain and France were at war and were uh, blockading each other's ports and seizing uh, neutral ships that were trying to uh, land cargoes, uh, not arms or ammunition, just uh, ordinary cargoes. Uh, American ships were trying to land uh, uh, produce from American farms, and uh, Britain was seizing the ships, seizing hundreds of them, uh, and and impressing uh, English-speaking sailors off those ships, Americans, into their navy. That was the equivalent of of the draft in those days. They didn't have a draft, but they needed sailors to fight uh, the naval wars with France, so they impressed American 
citizens, American uh, male citizens, into their Navy. Uh, it was outrageous, and uh, the uh, Americans uh, really were up in arms against it. Uh, and Henry Clay led a group of uh, Westerners at that time. By Westerners, I mean uh, farmers from ten from uh, Kentucky, Tennessee, Pennsylvania, Western Pennsylvania, those areas. That was the West. Uh, and he came into Congress as their leader. Uh, they uh, soon had a majority and elected him uh, Speaker of the House. Uh, at the time, the House of Representatives was bedlam, worse than it is today. And he, uh, as Speaker, redrew the rules and created the rules of an organized House of Representatives that the framers of the Constitution had envisaged. Uh, the Speaker of the House became, as again, as the framers had envisaged, the second most powerful man in the federal government. I learned from your book that he served as Speaker for the following 14 years. Yes, indeed. And, and as such... That's a good long run. It certainly was. But he was, as I say, he was the second most powerful man in government. It was he who controlled all mm -hmm. the legislation, uh, who could uh, pr propose laws on the floor who could speak for, who could speak against, and how long they could speak. So uh, he controlled the legislative branch, which uh, as the elect of the elect, he and the president uh, are the only two people uh, in, in the federal government elected by all of the people of the United States. We the people. Uh, the president is elected uh, rather directly now. Uh, the Speaker of the House is elected ind indirectly. Mm -hmm. He's elected to the House by his own district, but once in the House, uh, the majority party usually nominates the Speaker, and then all of the House, the entire House, both parties, must elect him as Speaker. He becomes what they called then the elect of the elect. Yes. And he is to represent all of the people of the United States, which our uh, present Speaker has failed to do, unfortunately. He had the reputation, and certainly well-deserved from everything one sees quoted from his a long career in Congress. He had the reputation of being a great orator. A great orator and uh, a great behind-the-scenes uh, fellow who could bring people of different, opposite opinions together quietly in a discussion and show them how uh, their interests uh, merged and how even though they disagreed on most issues, as the Southerners and Northerners did, uh, they did. There was common ground where they could both benefit uh, by coming together uh, in specific areas. Would you agree with that quotation that I was reading earlier uh, from a later senator from Mississippi who said that if Clay had been uh, in government still in 1860-61, uh, the nation would have avoided the Civil War? That's really well. Rather... They had avoided it for. Uh, for 50 years. But it was, under, well, it was, it was, leadership. but when you talk to Civil War historians, um, what they, and press them on that, they all sooner or later come to the judgment it was inevitable. It was put off by Henry Clay and a few others who cooperated in finding mediation and compromise. But finally, it was an irreconcilable difference that had to be adjudicated through the test of arms. Uh, I, uh, it, it's impossible to know. It's of impossible to, to rework history. But uh, everybody said World War was in, in, inevitable uh, when the Russians uh, sent missiles into Cuba. Uh, but somehow uh, Kennedy was able to negotiate yeah. 
a, a way out. So there are always, always ways to negotiate uh, between conflicting parties because there's always common ground. We all have to breathe the same air, eat the same food, uh, wear the same type, same materials for clothes. So there's always common ground, and Clay was a master at uh, finding the common ground, and he held this union together uh, long enough, actually, for new generations to be born and recognize that a breakup of the Union was unthinkable. We would not have fought a civil war had we broken up in 1820, but we would have become three uh, relatively impotent uh, little independent nations that would have been overrun by the great powers of the world, then Spain, Britain, and France, and the, the entire Revolutionary War would have ended up in the dustbin of, of history. Yeah. Uh, he held the nation, he saved the Union, for 60 years uh, until uh, Lincoln had to do the job with troops. Well, what might have happened? Just a feat of the imagination. <clears throat> Speculative history in the worst sense, because it doesn't coincide with the actual chronology. But imagine that he was not um, 85 upon his death, which I think is, that's in 1852, but was only... Um, uh, but. Um, so imagine he was born a few years later than he was in uh, seventeen eighty-seven instead of seventeen uh, seventy-seven, and imagine he was by now retired and back in Kentucky or in Virginia, but still in contact with the new president Abraham Lincoln. What might he have advised about the handling of the crisis as Lincoln was heading towards Washington for his inaugural? Well, the crisis began again in in. The House of Representatives and Congress, uh -huh. uh, where he was no longer uh, uh, running the House of Representatives. Uh, they uh, uh, almost immediately after his death, the House uh, repealed the Missouri Compromise, and they started undoing all the work he had done. Had he still been in charge of the House, that would not have happened. So uh, uh, we, we we can't say what would he have done at the time of the Civil War because he didn't live. Mm -hmm. Uh, long enough to well, that's see why that. I say it's a, requires the feat of the imagination. Yeah, but well, the problem the that he dealt with, to, you have to include the fact that uh, these uh, uh, horrible people in the house undid all his work because they refused to compromise. Who who were these horrible people? Well, the the the, the new uh, House of Representatives people, akin to today's uh, group of forty, uh, the. Uh, uh, Freedom Caucus, uh, the Shutdown Caucus, they were going to put an end to the workings of the United States government. Well, they were there also to put an end to slavery. No, no, no. These are the Southerners who seceded. To be sure. They weren't going to put an end to slavery. They were going to perpetuate No, but their, their Northern opponents uh, were there to put an end to slavery. That is, abolitionism had by that time become a paramount uh, purpose of the Union. And that was the basis for Lincoln's election, surely. Lincoln was elected in the North, not, yeah. not in the South. Yes, that's right. And, and uh, the abolitionists did not repeal the Missouri Compromise or repeal all the compromises that, uh, that Clay no, it was the, instituted. It was the, the Southerners, Southerners insisting uh, on the validity of their so-called peculiar institution. It, it it wasn't so much the institution; it was their power, their sovereignty uh -huh. over slavery, over uh, 
uh, issues that the federal government uh, that the federal government was now infringing on their powers. Uh, the irony of today's uh, shutdown House Freedom Caucus. One of the leaders is Rep- Representative Mick Mulvaney of South Carolina, which uh, fired the first shots in the Civil War. Mm-hmm. Uh, these many people in the South, especially in the rural areas of the South, are divorced from reality of uh, national and international affairs and believe that the states have uh, sovereignty, uh, that we, have, we fought a civil war to uh, eliminate. And, and saying that, you're characterizing not only uh, the Southern uh, House members of that time, but characterizing uh, some of the Southern members of Congress to this day. Is that what you're saying? Absolutely. Uh-huh. Well, it's a very interesting interpretation, to be sure. Um, Henry Clay is a fascinating figure, and we'll return to him. But it is time for me also to uh, invite telephone calls and emails from our listeners who would have questions or comments to offer uh, during the second portion of this first hour of the program. So, uh, the phone lines are now open, 847-475-1590, the number, 847-475-1590. And for email, you do that by going to milt, M-I-L-T, at 1590wcgo.com. Milt at 1590wcgo.com. And we return directly to Harlow Giles Unger after this. This new biography of Henry Clay by Harlow Unger starts quite vigorously. I just want to read the very first paragraph of the book. On November 4, 1811, a fearless young lawyer from Kentucky threw open the doors of a Congress and, like Hercules at the Augean stables, began to cleanse it of corruption and barbarism and present the future of the infant American Republic. Uh, With bold rhetoric and sheer will, over the next 40 years, he sowed the seeds of nationalism, preserving and strengthening the Union and lighting the way for Abraham Lincoln to guide the American Union through the Civil War intact. Um, That's a good overview of his significance in our history. But let's turn to the... uh, to the personal man behind the political career. I find it of considerable interest that he and his wife had 11 children, though I suppose for in that time that wasn't quite as rare as it would be today. Absolutely not. Indeed, uh, infant mortality rates were so high uh, that people, uh, married couples, routinely uh, uh, had children year after year after yeah. year with the hope that uh, two or three would survive. In the case of... Uh, Henry Clay, uh, many of them survived beyond infancy. Uh, in, in, in the case of uh, Patrick Henry, 22 <laughs> children survived, uh, leading many in Patrick Henry's day to say that he was the real father of our country, <laughs> not George Washington. Yeah. Um, it would have been, I suppose, a quite fulfilling career. Um, that is his career. But I'm sure that there must have been quite considerable frustration as well. Um, And um, the history of the party that he founded is in itself quite fascinating. Uh, The American Whig Party, one could say properly that it morphs in time into the Republican Party, I suppose. Uh, Yes, yes, indeed, into the Republican Party of Lincoln's day. Yeah. Uh, uh, Lincoln, in fact, earlier on is 
a Whig. Yeah, the uh, and indeed support uh, campaign for Henry Clay in uh, a uh, presidential race and two presidential races. Uh, the the Whigs grew out, uh, out of a vacuum uh, uh, under uh, President Monroe, uh, with Monroe in the executive office and Clay as a speaker and then uh, the equivalent of majority leader in the Senate, uh, the the growth and prosperity of this union became phenomenal uh, during the, the, the years Monroe was president. It was called the era of good feeling. And when he ran, when Monroe ran for re-election uh, in uh, 1820, uh, there was no opposition. He was the only candidate. He became the only president in history other than President Washington uh, to win re-election without opposition. Uh, so there were no political parties. There was uh, there was a vacuum. Uh, and then when Monroe's Secretary of State, uh, John Quincy Adams, ran for the presidency, uh, he adopted the uh, title of, of, of Whigs uh, as the moderate. They were the moderates, uh, historically the moderates in Britain, British politics, and uh, the, the Whigs were born. Uh, with uh, uh, John Quincy Adams winning election and uh, appointing Henry Clay as his secretary. Of State. Well, you po- you point out that in fact he becomes president. That is uh, John Quincy Adams uh, through the efforts of Henry Clay, who's uh, it was a very close election with a number of candidates, and it has to be decided in the House of Representatives, and. Uh, He's swung the house in that direction, did he not? Yes, indeed. Uh, the uh, when when uh, no candidate won a majority of the uh, votes in the electoral college in those days, the election was tossed into the House of Representatives again because they represented all the people, we the people, and uh, again none of the candidates had a majority, uh, and Henry Clay had the fewest votes and was eliminated uh, but he did have the, the, he did have the votes of Kentucky and one other state and he convinced them uh, to to cast their votes for uh, John Quincy Adams uh, because he felt that uh, uh, Andrew Jackson uh, was too much of a militarist he did not want a, mil- uh, a military man in uh, control of the executive branch uh, and he felt that John Quincy Adams was the most uh, eligible uh, man for the presidency. Uh, shortly thereafter, uh, John Quincy Adams appointed him uh, Secretary of State, uh, although Andrew Jackson, bitter over his loss of the election, because Jackson did have a popular majority, or popular plurality. He had more popular votes than any other candidate. Uh, he was bitter that Henry Clay had cost him the election, and he accused John Quincy Adams and Henry Clay of making a corrupt bargain. Those are Jackson's words. Yeah. In uh, uh, the selection of, of Clay as Secretary of State, which was, in those days was the second most power, powerful man in the executive branch of government. Uh, Secretary of State in those days had powers over what today would be the Interior Department, the State Department, of course, the Interior Department, Homeland Security, a whole. Uh, really ter- very, very powerful, all-reaching uh, uh, cabinet post in those days. Uh, but there was no corrupt bargain as such because of all of the candidates uh, eligible, 
for uh, Secretary of State, none was stronger uh, than Henry Clay. Henry Clay had helped uh, John Quincy Adams, had served with Quincy Adams on the commission that negotiated the peace treaty uh, that ended the War of 1812. Uh, Clay then went to Britain and uh, was there for many, many, many months negotiating uh, trade agreements and uh, quieting down the uh, uh, bitter uh, relationship between Britain and the United States at that time, and uh, essentially reestablishing trade between the two nations and, and setting uh, uh, some rules for their relationship that uh, restored good relationship between the two nations. As Secretary of State, what problems did he have to confront? What achievements did he manage? Trying to be Secretary of State. Yeah. Jackson and his uh, uh, men, his political uh, uh, aides, uh, were undermining the uh, Quincy, John Quincy Adams' administration from the first, feeding the press with uh, uh, rumors that started, of course, with corrupt bargain, rumors of corruption, rumors that uh, just kept uh, the, uh, the administration busy fighting the rumors uh, rather than uh, uh, doing much business. And it, it was a failed administration because of that. Uh, it's a, we've seen that kind of uh, rumor-mongering uh, injure uh, people in our day. Uh, John Kerry was injured by uh, uh, rumors. Uh, uh, Mrs. Clinton is being injured by rumors. Uh, this constant... Uh, vicious gossip uh, without any facts, uh, just hints of corruption by uh, uh, trained rumor mongers. Uh, you think that Mrs. Clinton gets off Scott uh, free and Scott clear with regard to the accusations that I have been leveled against her? I don't know, but then uh, why don't they just have the hearing and have done with well, it? Well, it's coming this Thursday. Yeah, but it should have come when, when, when this first started instead of week after week, month after month, year after year of rumors. Yeah. Uh, if you have a case, bring it bring it to the courtroom. Bring it, in, the, in this case, to, to the Senate, uh, to the committee room. Uh, don't just keep voicing rumors and never presenting evidence. And you think that John Kerry has been badly treated? Oh, you... with the swift, swift boat? Uh... Oh, way back to the time of his yeah, failed yeah. election, yes. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. No, this is a dreadful way of, of a dreadful form of conduct in a free society. In a free society, if you have a charge, make it, bring it before uh, in a public forum, and have done with it. I was in opposition to the Vietnam War um, while it was being waged. I'm one of the older guys. And at one point, I was on a program discussing these matters uh, at Yale University. I had just, in fact, left the Yale faculty. Oh, really? Having... That's my alma mater. Oh, wonderful. Uh, what what uh, class were you? <laughs> I may be older than you. Class of uh, 1953. Uh-huh. Saybrook College. No, we're, we're about the same age. And, in fact, I arrived uh, the year after you graduated. I arrived as an assistant professor in, uh, in 54. Uh, but be that as it may, uh, I was back at Yale in 61 or 62 at a program about the Vietnam War, a large audience. Um, I remember it being held in the, the main auditorium of the law school, as a matter of fact. And I was one of the speakers because of a little book 
that I and Sidney Verba had done uh, on um, uh, the so-called silent majority, um, Nixon's phrase. And there were four or five other speakers, and one was a fellow from Boston with, uh, whose main feature seems to have been a very rich head of hair, a large mane, and whose main views were extremely anti-Vietnam War, anti-governmental, and proudly talked about how he had gone to the White House and uh, torn up his uh, draft card or, and thrown the Purple Heart Medal he had received over the fence of the White House. Uh, a young radical from, anti-war radical from Boston, this fellow. It was, of course, uh, uh, the man who later became the senior senator from uh, Massachusetts and then became our Secretary of State. Uh, there was in his record uh, some stuff that seemed rather unpalatable to some more conservative members of uh, the Congress itself. Well, I'm not sure what this has to do with Henry Clay. But, nothing. Uh, <laughs> it has nothing to do with Henry Clay, but it has something to do with your having said that, uh, that um, as Secretary of State, uh, he was badly treated. Uh, and that Mrs. Clinton has been badly treated. I think I've given away the fact that there's some political difference probably between the two of us, though I can easily uh, enjoy uh, that, and uh, it doesn't bother me that that is the case. In fact, I welcome debate where debate seems required. And I think um, what you're saying about uh, the present Congress and the rebellion within Congress and how you compare that to what may have been happening in the country way back in the middle of uh, Henry Clay's career. It's uh, an analogy or uh, uh, a comparison which is of great interest, though I'm not necessarily convinced that it holds completely as an historical precedent. Uh, I, I think it does because of the fact that uh, the job of the House is to represent all of the people. Now, uh, we are a, a huge, diversified population. Uh, we're uh, living in a country with a, uh, huge uh, differences in geography, and it's absolutely uh, unavoidable that we have differing interests. The interests of drought-stricken areas of the yeah. West cannot be the same as the flood-ravaged ra areas of the Southeast. Uh, so that, and and each uh, each of us has unalienable rights uh, to. Uh, to promote our individual interests. But in the end, in the end, uh, our representatives in Congress have to find common ground. Uh, over the years, only 5%, most people don't realize this, only 5% of the laws that have been proposed in Congress were passed. 95% of, of proposed laws are rejected or mm -hmm. never even come to the floor. So only 5%. That's how difficult it is to... Uh, for all our interests to come together. Uh, and that's how difficult a job the Speaker has. But the Constitution begins with we the people, not I the person, uh, not we the, the South Carolinians or we the Californians or we the any, any place else in the country. It begins we the people of the United States of America. And that is the job of the congressman and congresswoman uh, who comes to Congress it is to find common ground. It is, yes, to promote the interests of, of his or her elect, electorate and his or, his or her district. But ultimately, he has to and she has to, have to come together 
and act in the interests of the United States of America. Quite so. Very well said, indeed. I fear I only have about four minutes left, and I do want to uh, quickly read to you one or two emails that have come in. Uh, here is one. Uh, sure, Clay was a legend of American politics, but he wasn't free of scandal. If memory serves, he was quite involved in the Burr scandal, meaning, of course, Aaron Burr. Uh, I don't know what he means by the Burr scandal. Uh, Burr shot and killed Alexander Hamilton quite so. in, in a legitimate duel, uh, which was, he was hailed as a hero in most American states. Uh, Thomas Jefferson had a personal grudge against Aaron Burr and turned it into a criminal action, which was uh, absolutely illegal on the part of the president. Uh, dueling was legal in uh, New Jersey, and uh, but the prosecutor was a Republican uh, uh, comrade and and close friend of Jefferson, and charged Burr with murder. Uh, no murder was committed. New York State, which wasn't even involved in the, in, in in this duel, uh, charged Burr with murder. Uh, when he got out west, everybody hailed him, uh, uh, including J uh, Henry Clay's uh, enemy Andrew Jackson, as a hero. Uh, standing up for his rights, his political rights, uh, and 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 fighting like a man. Everybody fought duels. Jackson fought uh, almost a hundred duels. Uh, Henry Clay fought three duels while he was in Congress. Uh, this was. Uh, so did he did he kill anybody? Pardon? No. Did he uh, <laughs> in one duel, uh, his opponent who had who had uh, fomented uh, this this whole fight uh, wore a a uh, a, a robe. That stretched out uh, four feet. <laughs> it was like a a, a woman's uh, ballroom gown. Uh -huh. So you couldn't see where the body wasn't firing. Uh, no, uh, Henry Clay was wounded in one, not not mortally, but obviously uh, wounded uh, in one of the uh, duels. But uh, uh, that's all. Here's a, here's another email. Very quickly, just about a minute left. But I would be curious about your answer. Uh, this uh, uh, listener says, "When I think of Clay and the like." I'm reminded how far the quality of political speech has fallen. Can that be attributed to mass media, or is it more that our leaders are not as cerebral as they once were? Uh, I don't have a, an answer to that. I haven't uh, polled our leaders to see how cerebral they are. Uh, I think uh, public speaking is less of an art today because it's less popular than it used to be. Public speaking was the only form of entertainment at the time of Clay. There was no, there were no movies, no television, no theater. Uh, small mm. towns waited for uh, the, the July Fourth oration, and they packed the churches to hear good, good uh, ministers because the, it was a form of entertainment. One remembers, of course, uh, the great monumental quality of the Lincoln-Douglas debates Absolutely. as representative of that. Yeah, good example. Yes. We are just about out of time. I thank you most sincerely for joining us today. Uh, once again, quite quickly, uh, the new book by Harlow Giles Unger is Henry Clay, America's Greatest Statesman. That's just recently published by DeCapo. It's been universally hailed by all the reviewers that I've checked out. And I thank you, sir, for being with us and hope to do it again sometime soon. Thank you for inviting me. It's a privilege to have been on your show. Thank you very much. Thank you.